Before we go into a study of God's Word this morning, I feel it very appropriate this time if you and I go to God in prayer for Miss Joyce Walker. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled by your greatness and your all-sufficiency. And it's times like this that we really don't know what to pray. We pray that you would keep your hand of comfort and peace on Miss Joyce and her family. We pray that you would give us as her church family the strength to encourage her, to help her along life's path. We pray that all these things in life that we will somehow put on the, on the back burner of our minds and give our full attention unto your word, where which we can find peace and joy and comfort. We pray that we will look upon her with compassion just as you will. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen. It is the fact that some words that are used in the Bible have been taken from us via societal means. Pastor, one of six terms that would be used for the office of elder and the eldership, perfectly in line with biblical teaching, and you know, we just don't use it. You know why? It's in 2021, it has a different meaning in our society. And so, since there are so many other terms, we choose to use a different term. Sanctified. I remember when I was in fifth grade, some girl came in and told us she was sanctified, and I didn't know what that meant, and I was a little bit scared of that. She didn't think about it in a biblical context. She was thinking about it in a, in a uh, denominational context, and the word sanctified has kind of been taken away. Even saved. Have you been saved? Well, that might be two or three different connotations depending on who's asking the question. Repentance. Repentance has been glossed over to, to uh, some form of contrition. And had God wanted to say contrition, he would have used the word contrition. That's not the word that he used. So let's you and I take a few moments and, and look at this. According to uh, Reve uh, Revelation, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, there is this plan of salvation given by God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop right there. How many of you, by show of hands this week, 
And I know that this week is only just hours long. But how many of you this week have used the word the? How many of you would like to define the word the? So you're just using the word you can't define, huh? Oh no, the word the would have the connotation, even in our language, of the one and only to the exclusion of all others. And so when, when Paul writes by inspiration that the power of God is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? That means God chose one way in order to save man, and that is the only way he chose. Question. Could he have chosen anything else? Yes. Even more to that answer, but he did not. He chose this way as the saving of mankind. And it's through that gospel plan of salvation that we are first at least to have an opportunity to rub up against the word repentance. We find in, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 9 that Jesus says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's where the gospel plan of salvation begins. It begins in, in hearing. It begins in hearing what God has to say on the, on the matter of what is right and what is wrong. It has to do with not only hearing, uh, but incorporation with believing. It has heeding to in that idea. Belief is found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6 where the Hebrews writer would write this, For without faith, without this belief, this, this uh, belief that Jesus is, it would be impossible to please God. Don't run over that idea too quickly. Impossible. Not possible. That by doing everything else without the, the idea of belief found in there, it's not even possible to be faithful before God. And I find verse, or number two, the, the belief aspect of God's plan of salvation to be the, the linchpin. For without that belief, you and I are not going to go any further. As a matter of fact, we read about that in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. Notice he didn't mention and is baptized not. The linchpin is found in belief. Then there is repent. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish, just as we read a moment ago. We find confession in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We find in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, also in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, that baptism is necessary for that salvation. And Jesus would tell us in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10 that a faithful life, a faithful unto death is required for that salvation. But as you and I look at God's plan of salvation... We want to look at the idea of repent today. What, what does repent and repentance mean? If, if God commands that I do it, I, I should do that, right? Shake your head this way. Yes, if God commands I should do it, I should do it. Well, then, and this might be just a slow, backwards Alabama way of thinking about this, but see if this makes sense to you. If God requires it and I should do it, don't you think I ought to know how? Absolutely. 
Notice this. The word we're looking at is metanoia. It is a call to repentance throughout the Bible, and it is personal, absolute, and ultimately unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Stop right there. That's a big mouthful of things to say. I take myself off of the throne, and I put him there. First, it's personal. That is, I can't, I can't have faith for Michael. I can't have faith for Brandy. I have to have faith for, for Billy. It's absolute. It's absolute. Stop right there. That means I get no choice. That means I hand over all authority to him. Ultimately, it's unconditional surrender. I don't like unconditional surrender. And the reason why is I like to be in charge. Anybody else like to be in charge? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll do it, but I'll do it this way. Or I'll do this, but I'll... When I unconditionally surrender to God, I hand everything that I have to Him. It includes sorrow and regret, but it's... it's Sorrow and regret are the, are the lowest level of ideas found in repentance. It's, it's so much deeper than that. It's a complete change of direction. It's 180 degrees. Now, here's where I messed up, and I, me- I mentioned this this morning. I should have highlighted these two words right here. Toward God. I can change my mind about a lot of things. And over 44 years, I have changed my mind over several things. But until I unconditionally toward, turn toward Him, I haven't repented. I haven't changed toward God. And therein lies the problem. True repentance. True repentance is not sorrow only. Now, is that an aspect of repentance? Absolutely. Do, do we find that in a man who and a woman who is penitent? Absolutely. But that's not the totality of repentance. Neither is sorrow for being caught. You didn't meet my grandmother. She was a fantastic lady, all four foot nine of her. And she kept us in line. Does anybody here have a sweet tooth? Just me? All right. I'm glad you do. My grandmother had 32 sweet teeth. You could sit on her couch and run your hands down in between the couch cushions and just sort of as if you were running it along the the candy aisle at Walmart, you could find any kind of full-sized candy bar that you wanted. And you could do that to her recliner, and you could do that to about every drawer in her kitchen. And she would have an emergency Snickers sitting up on her windowsill because everyone knows when you do uh, dishes, you get kind of hungry. Now, y'all might not appreciate sweet teeth the way she had them. I ate one. One time. And she got me. 
And at that point, I was, sorrow, I was, I was sorry that she, she caught me. I never have been sorrow, sorry that I ate that, that candy bar. But repentance is not sorry for being caught. It's not just stopping the sin. It's not even just a confession of guilt. I, I'm guilty. Yeah, well, we all meet that criteria, don't we? It's not just, well, I, I am guilty, so I'm going to start over. There's more to it than that. It's not some sort of gloomy despair as if to say, I can never get past this. It's no attempt to just cover up and move forward. It's not even the idea of merely being fe fearful of sinfulness and its fruit. A lot of those aspects are found in true repentance, but yet we have, uh, on this particular slide, not mentioned anything about turning toward. So as we look at this idea, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19, and we'll begin there. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19, Peter would say, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I, I want you to stop right there and read what he says. What, what, it, what would Peter say is being the, the catalyst of those being saved in this verse? Conversion? Yes. What's it predicated on? Repentance. Repent. Be converted, have your sins blotted out. How many of you are old enough here to have typed on a typewriter? Yeah. How many of you who are old enough here who have typed on a typewriter never made a mistake? So I'm the only one who's not very uh, familiar with correction fluid. Here's the only reason why. I don't think I've ever typed on a typewriter for necessary reasons other than just playing around. I always backspace. Correction fluid is what's mentioned in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19, being blotted out. You take that white out and you, you apply it to the paper and it's as if that word or that letter never even existed. It's covered over. It's blotted out. You don't get to see it anymore. And from the bank, uh, I guess it's called the bank of useless knowledge. Is that what it's called? I found out uh, during the break that the lady who invented uh, White Out uh, was a mother of Mike from the Monkees, if, if anybody remembers those, that group. So it's a little extra for you, no charge. To have those sins blotted out, to cover them over. Gee, God here is not using whiteout to do that fact. He's absolutely using the very blood of Jesus the Christ, that blood that saves mankind. He, he blots that sin out and allows us to be converted. And it's funny to me that Peter would mention this. As he was told by God him, or Jesus the Christ uh, on the eve of Jesus' death, and when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Turn over a few pages to Acts chapter 17. Now, as you know, I'm reading from the King James Version. 
But we're going to make some applications in different words here in just a moment. Verse 30, and at this time, in the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. The idea is found there in the King James Version has the, at least in my mind, has the idea of God sort of winking at us and, and raising up the, uh, the rug and sweeping those things under and say, we just won't think about those. And that's unfortunate in chapter 17 and verse number 30. The, the original would render more of this, uh, that God would overlook sinfulness to a point. And as you and I look at that, we think, well, good, he's, he's really overlooking it. That means he's sweeping it under, right? No, I'm talking about looking over the top of. He's looking over the top of those sins that would lead all the way to that Friday on that cross. And as those sins are happening throughout the historicity of man, he can still see that cross. And he can still see that blood flowing back this way. God overlooked or looked over the top of those sins in order to see the remission of them. And here's the reason why in verse number 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Stop right there for a moment. We hadn't made it to that day yet. That day's still appointed. God, knowing that time, hath appointed those days. You and I haven't made it there yet. We have still been given time in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained. Which one? He'll go on further and say that one that I have brought out of the dead, just as much as the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives the Christian H-O-P-E, it cements that day of judgment. Well, am I going to stand before God in judgment? Yes. Are you? Yes. Understand this, though. Sometimes we look at the word judgment and we think of it as a negative thing. It's not. Judgment's a good thing, especially for the Christian. As God would say to him, Welcome home, my child. Why is it then that people in general are so unhappy? Why is it then that, that Christians would find themselves being unhappy? It's, it's, a, it's a refusal. It's a, it's a lack of repentance. What we do is we hold on tightly to sin and guilt and have the mindset that we can simply walk through this world holding on to sin and guilt and everything's going to be lovely. I have said over the years that if I ever decide to turn my back on the church that I, I wouldn't come back to where she met here's the reason I don't want to come into a place like this and feel guilty about the choice that I made to live outside the bounds of God most people 
will, will live however they want to, hold on to that sin and that guilt on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, come to a place like this and wonder why they feel bad. Well, I wonder. This is the place that exposes, this is, this is the word that exposes what I'm doing as right or what I'm doing as wrong. And when I'm confronted with that, I don't really like it. And the reason is I haven't repented. I haven't unconditionally surrendered everything that I have to God. I want to hold on to just a little bit of it. Can I keep just a little bit? Nope. Not if I want to follow after God's command of repentance. I can't keep any of it. It's a total and unconditional surrender. Of what? Sin. It's a, it's, a, it's a giving up of a sinful lifestyle, sin. Now, did you know there are two kinds? Every one of us, I think, let, let, me, let me back that up. I don't know if you have, but I have constantly running in my head a, a, a loud monologue. Does anybody else have that? Okay. Some of us do. Some of y'all will catch up. And sometimes in that monologue, things are said that are not right. Things are thought that are not right. And you know who, the only person in the world who knows that? Is me. Those things are called private sins. Those are sins that I do by myself. Those are things that I sneak off to do so that no one's around. By the way, this is an old phrase from back home. When I say back home, I mean back around our house. Good rule of thumb right here. If you have to sneak to do it, it's wrong. But this is the kinds of things that I sneak off to do or I do by myself or this kind of thing. Those things are private and they need to be taken care of between me and my God. But then there are those that are public. Try to put yourself in this particular area. Let's say it's a fantastic spring day. It's about 70 degrees. The sun is shining on you. You're sitting in uh, one of the little fold-out chairs, a little camping chair from Walmart, and you have the joy to look past a chain-link fence to a spot that is dirt with some little white chalk on it and some grass. And it's a Saturday because it's tournament time. You want to see an example of public sin, go at any time to any high school softball uh, tournament and listen to people as these from this side or those from that side will first talk about the athlete and the coach and the manner in which they were raised, the things that they wear, the things that they do. And then if that ain't bad enough, they'll eventually turn on themselves and start talking about the girls that they know and the parents that they know. It's exhausting. 
This is the idea of public sin, the things that I say and I do and I, how I act around people in the world has a definite reaction on the church. Now, look at her. You see her? When my actions, don't, don't look away, look at her. When my actions and my speech and the way I live portrays the church just as this bride right here, when I give the church black eyes, when I give the church bloodied noses, the world the world sees that. The world looks at that and says, mm-hmm, I told you they weren't, mm. Case in point. It's a congregation in a small town. Somewhere USA. And as you pass through there, you would probably stop there. You would probably see them as, as sound, and so we'd probably all just stop there. Wouldn't think twice about it. You take one shovel of dirt and turn it over in that particular town. Go to the second biggest, or the first now, the first biggest building in that town, which would be the school. And these are the statements you'll hear. Those people there do the same thing we do. They just think they're better than we are. They think because of where they go or what they do that they're not accountable. Hmm. Is that how they see us? Because if that is, then they fully understand the idea of repentance. Or at least a person not repenting. They understand the idea of cultural Christianity. Where we go to church on Sunday because that's what we do in the South. It's not a change of lifestyle, it's just part of our week and what we do. This eats up two good hours right before lunch, right? When I do this to the Lord's church, I must repent publicly. It's going to have to be repented of in the same fashion in which it was made. Does that mean I'm going to have to go back to the ball field? It very well might. But what about us in this whole scenario? What about us? We've been looking at the one who, who needs to repent. What about if, if I sit there and I say, and I'm, and, and, and I'm honest with myself, I don't, I don't really have those. Number one, that's wonderful. If you can sit there and, and, and as God's words unfolded, you say, well, I don't really have those public sins. That's wonderful. What an example. 
And I pray to God that we have more of those. But I also need you to understand that the Lord's church, we as individuals have some point in time where we admire courage. You ever done anything hard in your life? You know, I've done a few hard things. Physically speaking, I've done a few hard things, mentally and emotionally speaking, but I don't know if there's any more thing that is more mentally or emotionally courageous than letting go of the back of the pew, symbolically letting go of self, and, and stepping out to say, I'm wrong. Who wants to say that? Well, the answer is nobody wants to say that. Sometimes we have to. So what about us? If that's not you, then first of all, let the past stay in the past. When a child of God comes back home and repents of something, let it be done. No need to talk about it over lunch. There's no need to bring it up four months from now, six months from now. Let it be done. Let it stay in the past. Do you have things in your past you wish would stay there? Shake or nod. Everybody does. Just let it stay there. It's not going to do any good to bring those things back up. Secondly, if not everybody, most folks need encouragement. Peer pressure is a negative thing that we talk about with our teens and we're only talking about it halfway most of the time. Because peer pressure can be a great thing. If it's by the right people for the right reason, in the right fashion, if I'm here with you guys and we're all going in the right direction, then we're all encouraging one another and, and putting some peer pressure on one another to do what God says to do. And that's a good thing. Encouragement. Everybody needs a little encouragement. Thirdly, don't get too comfortable in your chair. What? Yeah. Don't get too comfortable on your seat there. Guard yourself. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, because it might be you next time who needs to come back home. So guard yourself. Encourage. Let the past stay in the past. True, real Biblical repentance is the most difficult requirement of God's plan of salvation. But because it requires me to change something I'm used to. Without it, all we're really doing is putting some sort of ointment or salve on our conscience. We're making ourselves feel good. And that feel good really only, only lasts for so long and it stops at the point of death. And then reality 
sets in as I stand before God Almighty, and I'm no longer satisfied with how I feel, but what He says. That's without repentance. But with true, real, biblical repentance, now God offers me something that every American panders for, and that is freedom. How many of you like freedom? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You want freedom from yourself? Freedom from guilt? Freedom from sin? How about freedom to be his child? That only comes by true, real repentance. And to do anything less, to do anything less than surrender everything that I have to God for His use, finds me playing church. Repentance. Oh, it's tough. But it's necessary. You and I have looked at God's plan of salvation in detail, hearing His Word, believing it, repenting of our sin, confessing that Jesus is the Christ, and being baptized to add you to the church. Living that faithful life unto God ensures that you are a faithful servant of His, and you can hear these words, Well done. Do you need to put on Christ in baptism? Do you need to come back home? Now is the time to do that while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Here,